Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Mitch, and in this episode, I'm really excited to say we have returning guest Jim Zub is with us, and we will be discussing rebuilding pantheons. We've already had an episode on building pantheons. Now we're talking about rebuilding pantheons with the idea that somewhere along the line of your homebrew world's history, there may come a time when new gods will emerge to replace the old. And so that's going to be the discussion for today. I'm really excited about it. But before we jump into the meat, I have a five-star review to read to all of you. So sometimes as we are doing the show, we have missed a couple of reviews along the way. Apologies, I'm not always the best bookkeeper in that sense. Uh, so here's one that we missed, and this one is from Bartolu Tanner, and it is entitled Excellent, Five Stars. As a fellow podcaster, I can tell how much joy and skill goes into the crafting of this show. As a fellow DM, I can tell how much knowledge and passion the hosts have for playing D&D. It's outstanding. Highly recommend. Thank you so, so much, Tanner. Super, super appreciate that review. Sorry that we missed it on our first go-round, but we're giving you a shout-out now. And with that, let's get into this week's meet. Let's start talking with Jim Zub about rebuilding some pantheons. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. So today we have a returning guest, and I am very excited. Uh, even though it feels like it was an eternity <laughs> ago, it was less than two years. But we're having back on Jim Zub, and if you don't know what, if you don't know, how shame dare on you. you. But <laughs> he, is the, he is the writer of Conan, Pathfinder, countless D and D things, in D and D and things, including Rick and Morty and D and D things and D and D, um, and one of my absolute favorite things that he's ever done that I read with the kids that you even signed to my own children um, is the Young Adventurer's Guides. I'm actually having my seven year old um, use it for reading comprehension. Certainly, some words um, I don't know if I should have let her read, and definitely <laughs> harder ones than she. Um, what is, is a corpse? You're like, oh, geez, here we yeah. go. Oh, oh, oh. But Thanks Jim, for thank- having me back. Oh, it's yeah. A pleasure to be back. Welcome nice. back. Yeah, we, we're excited. We're, oh, thanks, we're always man. excited for guests, but we are very excited that you were willing to carve out some time and join us back in the show. So like, if um, any of our listeners um, haven't, mm-hmm. uh, maybe they didn't listen to the first episode that you were on, which go back and listen to that. Uh, but um, just, and maybe you want to give us some more information, but can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, whether that's what it is, uh, a little sure. bit more of what you do for a living, who you, 
who you are, yeah, whatever yeah. you would like to fill in. It's right. up to you. So I'm I'm a I'm a Canadian uh, writer, um, primarily known for my comic book stuff. So I've been doing work in comics, depending on how you measure it. Like I, you know, I did a my first like web comic 20 years ago. But for most people, like the last 10 to 12 years has been kind of my primary output. I did my own kind of creator-owned series called Skull Kickers, which was kind of my D&D meets Conan meets a buddy cop movie sort of comedy action. And that got me on on the radar for some people, which would turn into actually writing, you know, uh, the official Pathfinder comic, um, the D&D comic series. I've been writing uh, this series of miniseries since fifth edition launched in 2014, which got me directly in contact with Wizards. And we've built up an amazing relationship. So I've done a lot of consulting over there and a lot of front facing kind of writing where um, I did um, uh, development on Descent into Avernus. Um, I put together this series called The Young Adventurer's Guides, which is you know meant to bring new players into the hobby. And uh, a lot of these crossover series, like you were mentioning before, the Rick and Morty versus D&D, the first one I co-wrote with Pat Rothfuss, and the second one I wrote solo. And then I also helped develop the, the game box set that they released soon after that. Um, and uh, the D&D and Stranger Things miniseries, where we kind of showed the game elements that were happening off camera in in the stranger things you know series as we've been going through the seasons and digging in you know the the kids play DD during a very similar period to when i started playing DD. so that's just like a huge nostalgia wave for me where i was able to go through and kind of go back and, and dig deep into my collection and and bring forth some of my favorite memories and kind of transpose it into the Stranger Things universe, which has been a ton of fun. Um, I love bringing new people into uh, play role-playing games. They have transformed my life and I would not be a writer today uh, without the power of, of tabletop. So, um, you know, it's always happy to bring new people in the door, always happy to reinvigorate people's, you know, love for the games and, and talk story and talk dungeon mastering. I love and that, that there's, stuff. Uh, there's yeah. some like, autobiographical elements in the stranger things uh series that you worked on that's fantastic <laughs> yeah you know it's just that's the thing is that when i was going back through and realizing you know because you when you're playing so much dnd and i've played every single edition you just assume like your brain kind of melds a bunch of it together and going back and rereading some of those old books like the best stuff that you know basic expert you know and companion all that like i had forgotten certain little rules or certain elements of it and i wanted to make sure we were accurate whenever the kids were playing the game that it was the real deal and i was like oh yeah that's right you know initiative wasn't a d20 oh right you know the everything yeah. from from weapon speeds to all these other little elements that come up during the game and it's like i remembered them as soon as i read it yeah but it unlocking like kind of that key to that where those again. memories yeah. are stored and there's the, yeah, the obvious ones like yeah. Thacko never goes away because it's such an intrinsic sort of terminology, but it's the little details and things like that. You know, in, in some of the older books, they didn't uh, measure weight in pounds or ounces or anything. They measured it in coins. So it's like, cause that's all that, that was the most important thing was how much treasure you could gather. Right. So if I have to toss this broadsword, how many coins am I replacing for it? You know, like it's stuff like that, that, that was really kind of fun to be able to remember uh, and, and infuse into the stories where possible. Right. So. It's awesome. Yeah. So our, our second question is always, and we definitely, I know, I know your work well enough that we have to put the caveat, unfortunately for you. Is there anything that you're working on currently 
that you can talk about. <laughs> yeah, there's always a, yeah. a set of projects that are in development that are behind the NDA stuff, but of stuff that's been announced, I'm the current writer of Conan the Barbarian uh, at Marvel. We've got a big anniversary issue coming up in September. So if you, the way they do the numbering on the current comics is they have the current numbering and then they have what they call legacy numbering. So if you did all the previous series combined, so the current issue number, you know, coming up is issue 25 of the current series. But when Marvel originally lost the license to Conan, the last issue was 275. So if you put those two series together, we're at legacy 300. I finally get to write one of these big honking anniversary issues. I'm super, super pumped and really, really proud to be a part of it. Uh, so that's a big one for me. I'm doing this other series at Marvel called Avengers Tech On, which is a really fun um, team up between Marvel Comics and uh, Bandai of Japan. And so it's almost like Power Rangers meets the Avengers. So it's like big, over-the-top, Sentai-style uh, colorful action and adventure with the Avengers. So the Avengers lose their superpowers. So Iron Man is now his armors are the most potent way for everyone to kind of keep superheroing. So he makes armors for everyone on the team. And now they're like these super powered cybernetic uh, uh, Avengers. Like it's, it's wild, wild stuff. And it's been a lot of fun to put together. I've got a new Dungeons and Dragons mini series that's been announced called Mindbreaker. And it's a bit of a, uh, kind of a, a soft lead into Baldur's Gate 3, the video game. So some of the plot elements that you can already partake of in the early access version of Baldur's Gate 3 that's in development from Larian, uh, we're kind of foreshadowing some of those evils and forces in the Baldur's Gate comics that I've been doing since 2014. Uh, it's been a ton of fun to put together and our crew is, is fantastic. Um, and then last but not least, I'm I guess there's two other things, geez. I've got, uh, uh, I'm one of the co-writers of the World of Darkness uh, comic series that's coming out through Vault. Oh, nice. So it's vampires versus werewolves. Uh, love the white wolf stuff and was really hooked on that when it first came out in the 90s. And getting to dig back into that has been an absolute joy. And um, there is, we haven't announced the title yet, but I can say that there are more Young Adventurers guides in development. And yes. They, you, we were, we were, yes. Yeah. I'm on board. Whatever we it were, is. I don't need we were, to know the title. Yeah. Where can I buy no, it? we were slowed down on on because of the pandemic stuff, but they have been bubbling away uh, quietly, you know, in the background, and and I'm excited for those to get announced. So yeah, fantastic! So much good stuff. Other than that, nothing. Pretty bored, <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> you got nothing going on. So. Yeah, yeah, just pretty. Man, what pretty a waste chill, of a anyway. question. <laughs> right? No, it's all good. <laughs> uh, and and hey, as always, we have uh, a surprise question for you, Jim. We have uh, one from mm -hmm. our Patreon dragon. Uh, DM Eric. Uh, DM Eric asks, what was the most fun or memorable boss fight you've ever had at a tabletop role-playing game? Oh, man. So that's a good question. Uh, probably maybe not the most. Yeah, one of the most memorable. Uh, really amazing. We were playing in a Ravenloft campaign, and this was the the 90s Ravenloft, the whole campaign setting with the Domain of Dread and all that kind of stuff. And there was an adventure where we had, there was like some necromancer and he was like raising these armies of the dead. And um, we had been fighting waves and waves of them or whatever. And we don't know why it's happening. And then finally everything calms down and this necromancer, you know, stands up from behind a huge gravestone and he's about to monologue. Like it's so obvious yeah. he's about to monologue. <laughs> and one of the members of our party goes, no, I'm just going to fire an arrow 
at him <laughs> and rolls the natural 20 and hits him right between the eyes with the arrow. So we just imagined like the DM went with it and just said, this guy gets up in this big flourish of dark smoke or whatever. And he goes, and now you see, thunk, and then he just goes, oh, and he drops back behind the gravestone. And uh, because he was a regular human guy, we, we killed him outright. Uh, and because we were supposed to get attacked immediately. So then the ghouls and, and all the ghasts and the zombies rush us, but we never found out why the villain did any of the things he did or what the purpose was or any <laughs> of the big deciding stuff. Cause we, we'd notched this guy right in the face. So uh, we couldn't stop laughing. It was just so hilarious and so ridiculous. And we saved, you know, the town and everyone else, but we, we literally never understood the villain's motivation because we didn't give him a chance to, to monologue at us. So. That's great. I can just imagine yeah. your, uh, your DM like crumpling up the three yeah, page just, speech uh, and throwing over it over. The, the <laughs> and over the like, All right, player agency. Let's do yeah, this. <laughs> there we go. Nice job, everybody. You know, uh, so, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, you want the DM to have their moment, but we were laughing so hard at that, yeah. you know, everyone's entertainment is kind of the watchword of a good game. Yep. So if we're all having a great time, it's like, ah, yeah. why not? Yeah. Whatever. Well, and that's, you and know that's what's shows... coming next. It's a big fight. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. great that the DM just kind of rolled with the punches and like, yeah. it was just yeah. like, all right, cool. This is, this is a great moment in itself. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. It, let's just roll. Yeah. 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 Well, good fun. Well, thanks Jim for that answer. And thank you, Eric, for that question as well. <laughs> which I will attempt to be a professional at this and use that as a segue because you never know when your players will just ruin everything that you had. Planned. <laughs> um, and so we can leverage that idea as the topic. Um, and you heard it in our intro. And if you look at your podcatcher, you read that we're going to talk about potentially rebuilding your Pantheon, because there are certainly scenarios where you, the DM decide it, where your players have decided that that's what's going to happen. Um, right. and it could be for story. It could be for world building, whatever you need it for. Um, and what we haven't mentioned as one of the things that you were the writer on, or at least a writer on, is Wayward, a series that mm -hmm. I absolutely loved. Um, th oh, 30 issues. Um, so yeah. it's not, you don't commit your whole life to it, but a good, a nice portion. Um, and that is certainly the catalyst for this conversation. Um, oh, cool. So I, yes, I absolutely loved Wayward and I started rereading it again um, just to prep a little bit for this. Um, awesome. Yeah. The concept behind Wayward is basically these Japanese, so yokai, which in Japanese terminology kind of encompass like ghosts and monsters in the supernatural kind of isms as a whole um you know the the creatures of old are kind of losing their grip on on you know the world and a new generation of the supernatural is finding its footing uh, in wayward represented through these kind of teen characters so you know we joked around when the series launched that it was like buffy meets you know, uh, J Japan, but it's like, it is in some ways, we had these supernatural kind of hunters and all this kind of stuff. And these kids realizing that they were coming into their own powers. And as you get further on, you realize that they are connected to this broader supernatural change that, that the concept of generational divide and the old must give way to the new is happening on this much higher level. And in some ways, I guess that's a pretty good piece of advice to start off on is that you have to make sure that whatever you're doing as a dungeon master as cool and as epic a battle or, or transition or whatever your special effects narrative budget is going to be <laughs> in terms of the tabletop game that your players feel like they are a part of it that it's not just npcs shuffling the cards in the heavens do you know what i mean that that doesn't mean that that the players are going to get to make all the decisions or that they're going to be at the 
you know, at every single point, but that there's a sense of their involvement, that they know that they're a part of that story instead of it just being, you know, I think some dungeon masters want to be, how do I put it? They, they want to tell something really memorable, but they almost, it ends up putting the story on rails where you're just like, okay, this is happening. Good luck. And, and you guys are gonna have to deal with my monologues, you know, getting <laughs> yeah. back to our kind of yeah. early I shoot example, them. right? That's right. You know, the, the, the gods are going to do all these things and you're powerless to, to be involved. And it's like, obviously if you're lower level characters, you're not going to necessarily be, you're not equal to the gods. You're not able to, to push all the levers, but there should be some element of it that they feel like they can get a handle on or that they are a part of um, and helping or understanding or motivating so that it doesn't feel like NPC theater. You know what I mean? Where the players are, are the audience for the bigger story being told. Right. So that was something really important to me when we were doing wayward was that, you know, Rory and, and, uh, Ayane and all the rest of the characters, they have their own personal motivations that are clashing with these bigger changing forces. And so we care about them and we end up caring about the bigger things that are moving in the background because they, they tie into each other and there's emotional qualities that matter to each other. So yeah, that's probably my first, you know, piece of advice. You're not as much as I'm a writer, you know, but you're not writing a novel. You're writing, you know, you are playing a game with your friends. And so make sure that you're not just monologuing at them the whole kit and caboodle, right? So absolutely. Yeah. There's some great pieces of advice there in the idea of like, I don't think I've ever looked at it this way until you were done talking. Um, but the, no idea, the idea that you're, you as the DM aren't bringing a finished product to the table. Right. There's something right. amazing to be said about the idea of like a, a rough draft, a first draft, mm -hmm. um, and certainly the other players. The, the seed of yeah. an idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the problems with the pre-published modules, as much as I love them and I'm a collector and I love having those, one of the things you have to get away from is that it's going to play out in those text boxes and that it's all going to go to that final finishing point. If we get there naturally, that's cool. And if I can massage things into a direction that it feels natural, that's great. But you have to be willing to, to change your mind and you have to be willing to tilt into, you know, where the players are discovering and what they're excited about. Otherwise it's not going to be a satisfying experience, you know, and that that's, it's one of the big differences about role-playing games versus, you know, prose or any other kind of writing where it doesn't work unless we're all doing it. We've all got to have skin in the game and we have to feel like what we do matters, you know? Yeah. As we, as we go through this topic, uh, Jim, mm -hmm. we, I think our listeners would love to hear uh, what inspired you in that story. But this idea of, of rebuilding a pantheon, I think needs like a catalyst, exactly. um, like a reason, um, lore wise, story wise, like what is the purpose that new gods emerge and take the place of old gods in for these, for DMs listening, like there, there should be a reason that's happening, right? Like right, are right. the old gods dead or dying or were they killed or fading away is this some or, natural cycle or is this yeah. an artificial thing that is is triggered it right yeah so is what this, are the reasons in like a homebrew world that this event could take place 
you know, I know the the classic option is some sort of prophecy. I try and avoid those things in my own narratives because the minute you try and staple things to a prophecy, first of all, players, that's the first thing they'll destroy. <laughs> if, if you yeah. tell them something has to go way, you know, X, they're going to go Y every yeah. time. Like if you say, oh, and therefore this, this creature must die, they go, well, what if we save it? Like yeah. that's just, you know, classic player, uh, uh, you know. Behavior, I love but. prophecies, but you, I think if you're going to use prophecies in a role-playing game because of what you're talking about, like player agency right. and not, yeah. you need to be more, you need to be uh, really wiggly with abstract. the prophecy. Abstract. Well, abstract. Yes. yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. like your that's player you sees a crow flying down exactly. from the like vision-ish. So that or, as or you poetic. go on, exactly. though the meaning of, yeah, poetic, you can change that meaning exactly. as you go. Exactly. And what you'll find, I think, if you do that is your players will find those meetings and you'll exactly. go, ooh, that's oh, I a mean, good. that is the yeah. DM trick. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The DM trick. Yeah. If if you haven't, you must have talked about this uh, uh, before in advice. The DM trick is always to set up the big pieces or to plant those <laughs> seeds and to have some ideas for where it can yeah. go. But if the players come up with a, a better, better idea or, a, or something that they feel like the number of times that my players have gone, Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. And then they'll tell me some incredible confluence of, of activity. Like this old adventure actually ties into this new adventure. And I'm like, Oh crap, that's better than what I got. Yep. <laughs> and, then, and then you just lean back and you stroke the chin and you go, well, I'm glad you're paying attention. And yeah. they're like, whoa. Don't because, be afraid and, to lean into yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And so prophecy is one of those areas where you could say, you know, and and whatever. the, the You're right. You shall... figured out that's exactly what the venomous yeah. snake meant. Exactly. Well done. The day shall yeah. never rise means whatever. Or, yeah. you know, the waters, whatever kind of thing like that. And then they see it and they attach to it. And you're like that's going with the momentum. So let's roll with it. You know, that's the fun part of the whole thing. But in terms of the gods themselves, what I think is important is that, you know, what the, you know, the players are seeing one small slice of a story, right? And it's the slice that's important to them because it's rooted in their needs and their motivations. But that doesn't mean you don't think about what the broader structures are. You know, I think that's one of the things that you want to do to make a world feel full, that if they go into the town and everything's the same every time they go there, they're like, well, this has been built for me. It's the shop front for me to buy and sell my crap and therefore it has no meaning. But if every time they go, things are subtly changing or buildings are being torn down or things are being built or you know people change and grow and move on or whatever is happening, I think the same kind of thing with the gods where you're like, okay, our cleric knows one little tiny slice of this broader thing that's happening, but these other gods have their own motivations and they're using each other or trying to hold on while the entire pantheon is crumbling beneath them or be reborn or something like that. I think those are fun kind of elements to be slowly, you know, revealed that you can peel back the onion and they go, Oh, I get what's going on. The gods are dying. And you go, okay, you know, one element of this, the gods are dying, but do you know which gods are going to try and get out of this or which ones knew it was coming and planned for it or which ones are going to, you know, uh, uh, try and reincarnate themselves or, or steal, you know, some great power or stop it from happening. And if you know those kinds of bits and pieces, it can just 
tee up all kinds of other cool story elements. And so the, the intrinsic basic concept of, oh, huge epic things suddenly can involve a much smaller cast or a more emotional element. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And those are the kinds of things that I think are really fun uh, to be able to play with. Because one of the problems with the cosmic level events, you know, the stars are erupting and <laughs> cosmic dragons are eating planets and you're like, I fight cobalt. So you're like, you're like what? why, why do I care? Like, what does this mean to me? Do you know what I mean? I, I think sometimes people want to spend the infinite, you know, special effects budget and they're like, and the ground shall burn asunder. And you're like, cool. Can we do anything to stop this? Or are we just like waiting for you to finish describing all the terrible, you yeah. know, or whatever. And it's like, okay, but this one thing or this one path, or there is something fascinating. And when you see something like, you know, the classic dragon lance, right? So I think of, of you know, Goldmoon uh, getting her, bringing healing back to the clerics of the world or something like that. And you're like, oh, that's cool. There's something now that that cast has that no one else has, you know, or there's some element that they that they bring to this on a personal level that now I feel rooted in the concept rather than it just being like huge, massive soul turning stuff. So bringing it back to wayward, you know, these teen kids are still teenagers going through all the growing pains and fears and neuroses of, of that, those crucial years of their lives. And also they are tied up in this supernatural, you know, uh, transference that is underway but we care about it because we care about them, right? And so that's where it, it can be helpful to, instead of just presenting the big idea to your players, to sort of even plant that seed early, maybe even a session zero or during character creation, just say like big changes are coming or, you know, letting your cast know, hey, there's stuff going on. Not that I want to pre-script any of it, but I just want them to be open to the idea you know, it's, it's again, one of those things where communication is so valuable. Sometimes I'll see people, they'll start a D and D campaign and they'll just be like, make whatever you want. And you're like, well, you're going to get a grab bag of, of randomness. Mm -hmm. And there's something fun and kooky about that. But if you tell people we're running curse of Strahd, they're going to make characters that are more focused on the undead and, you know, cool stuff in and around those elements rather than it just being like grab bag good luck you know and and hope that you're going to get a narrative that works for you right so yeah if you say to them there's big movement with the gods then you're probably going to get more characters that are faithful yeah, or attached to the pantheons or involved with their faith and now you've instantly got those those pieces you know the strings you can pull on yeah i think too with um talking about like catalysts like um for for me as a, a dm who's created my own world one thing that i've recognized is like i've i've come across these cool ideas from other stories and then i go oh that's sweet let me put that into uh my world somehow and that that is great and all of us as dms and world builders do that but then the negative side that i've i've realized is sometimes i've grabbed onto ideas and so has every single other person Right. Like, for instance, we're talking about, like, gods dying and needing replacement. Mm -hmm. um, my world has a god's war, and so does right. almost every other DM sure. out there. <laughs> so, like, I now have to, as a DM and a world builder, go, how do I make mine unique? But right. I think, I like, with fast? this yeah. idea of replacing old gods, 
I think our minds would the the first thing our mind goes to is the death of the right. old gods, right? But like it could it doesn't need to be the death. Um but instead, what if uh Jim, you were talking about like returning to a place and seeing that the world is changing. If you yes. kind of talk about that on a macro level, as you go through your world building and role playing and running different campaigns with your players, your home group, uh, they may see the world change. You might start to have the introduction of technology and different weapons and different things that the world works. And maybe the old gods just reach this point where they they look at the world of mortal kind and go, this is not the world that we came to. Right. And maybe or the they God just of leave. war says, this isn't war. Yeah. The way I recognize it. Or, you know, these armies and these things are not, you know, what, what they once were. Yeah. I'm going to give up the mantle. And then you could have this fascinating race well, who becomes the new God exactly. of war becomes the new, you know, whatever, or, or, or what may have you, or you could have a God kind of break shatter and it becomes a lot more of a fine, um, what used to be an all encompassing kind of role of a God gets split into a series of smaller ones. Right. So now longer the God of war, now there's a God of weaponry and there's a God of martial arts and there's a God of, you know, like all these finer points of the God, yeah. And these kind and they're not all going to get along and they're all going to have different sort of, of points of view. And some of them are going to be honorable or dishonorable. That's an interesting concept. Almost like this council. Oh, say uh, war this council. group. Yeah. Yeah. This, war. yeah that but you so you so you take that where power. there used to be 10 gods, now there's going yep. to be 40. And yeah. it's like it, the complexity suddenly increases, right? Yeah. Or one of the gods gets split asunder, and now all the other gods look at each other and go, we can do that. <laughs> oh, but if we, if I break the other gods, I'll be still the big one and you'll all be the small ones. Let's have at it. You know what I mean? And there's something quite fascinating about that where you could, you get your God war, but the end result isn't just, we're going to fight. The end result is one, one God will stay the most powerful and the other ones will have to be these sort of, you know, pieces of of the of the broader whole maybe you know there's all kinds of different ways you could approach it right or a god realizes that if they stay around for this apocalyptic event they will be destroyed so they vanish from the world for a time and people think oh that's the first god that died you're like no that's the one that's hiding out waiting for all the rest to die do you know what i mean or something like that so there's all kinds of ways you could do a good turn on it where you you set up one expectation and then as more knowledge comes out you actually realize something you know greater is going on right so well i think yeah. back to wayward and the way that the yokai are connected to these changes that are happening in the world the first thing that i think mm -hmm. of is um in D, D goblins being connected to maglubiate or how right. gnolls are connected or how sahugan are connected or 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 yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like thinking like those could be the first signs and then the other thing i think is you as the dm really need to kind of decide when this happens do you want your story to be proactive or reactive right. because if it's like well okay here are the signs this happens every mm, i looked at my watch which is not helpful and not in an audio medium but um <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that it happens every 100 years sure and so now it, people are people are getting ready uh, or right. 
it it's never happened before and people are and reacting to to these exactly and you know most of this stuff most campaigns are your players are reactive mm -hmm. at the start because they don't know what's going on and then once they understand some piece of it or they enable some bit of knowledge or some item now they have hopefully a a proactive quality they can choose or they can make something happen whether or not they realize the full extent of it they at least have their own goal oh if we take this item over here we might be able to save the god of healing or we might be able to you know uh, stop this thing from happening and maybe they don't or maybe they decide not to you know our characters decide having gods in this world is a bad thing and let's bring it all down you know down with the man like whatever that you know <laughs> kind of element this takes on i think that there's some really fascinating bits in that uh, i don't know if you guys ever played the original planescape setting uh so good one of the things they introduced was this idea of factions and so in addition to your character class and your race and all that stuff you would join this you know faction out amongst the planes and each of them have very different views of reality and some of them you know believe in order and some of them believe in chaos and some of them believe in in have a good time till the end and all this kind of stuff and everything in between and so you know your party could end up taking on an interesting sort of cast where they decide we're in for this or we're not, or we're gonna help this along or we're gonna try and slam the brakes on it, you know? And again, you have to be kind of reactive to that because in your head, you might've been like, oh, my party will become favorite of the new gods. And then you're like, no, they don't want any gods at all. And you're like, oh, okay, that's, a, that's an angle. What, what are, you know, how do we enable them to feel empowered and engaged with that kind of a story? And how do I, one of the things we do in storytelling is you have themes in your stories, right? So the idea of wayward, you know, is this idea of generational divide and that the old gives away to the new and that, that no one who's in a position of power wants to give it up and no one wants to leave the party, right? For the most part. And, and the people that are stepping into these positions of power don't necessarily know what they're getting into, right? And we, you know, we, we exaggerate that with the teenagers and all these other elements, but that's really what's at the heart of a lot of the big movements and themes of the story. But a story doesn't function unless you test the theory. So, uh, you know, the classic example of whatever Spider-Man, great power come, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, how do we know this? We know this because in Spider-Man's origin, Uncle Ben dies because Peter Parker is not responsible and therefore he learns a very valuable lesson. So make sure if you think there's a big theme that's forming, that you test that, that you test your players. If they say the gods must be destroyed because they've been manipulating humanity and mortal kind too long, test them on that. M make them prove that that's the right way to go or maybe change their mind right are gods all bad no maybe gods are good oh maybe maybe i'm not so sure anymore and you want to push them and you want to push those if 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 they have the exact same point of view at the start of the story and the exact same point of view at the end of the story that's fine but there has to still they they have to be tested and come out the other side and go now i know why I know why I felt this way at the start and now I know why I felt that way at the end. But usually there's some sort of evolution or there's some sort of sacrifice or change that's going to happen to their attitude. And you as the DM need to be able to enable or first of all, see those things forming and then find ways to test it, you know? So if the cleric is like, I believe in my God no matter what, and we have to save them from this coming God apocalypse or whatever we're calling it, you know, uh, test that show ways that their god has manipulated and done 
made terrible choices and and hurt people or curse things and make them if they decide to redouble their efforts that that's a choice they're making that it's not an easy choice that they're not just going well i'm a cleric so i'm all in for you know my god every time and you're like okay even if they're like this even if they're like this even if they did that yeah okay even if they're like that even if you know and you just push push and you don't say it to them that way but you just prove it through these scenes right and then if they've made those choices now the rest of the cast is like i can't believe you're still deep in the paint for god god pants like what, what are you doing here you know forcing that tension forcing that drama and that if they make that choice now there's cool story potential and yeah. drama built around it you well know? this is such an interesting yeah. concept this idea that we're talking about of this new pantheon because um when typically when you build a homebrew world and you start working on your pantheon, that is not mm. something that your players have agency How on and have, yeah, yeah, and have direct, yeah. you're creating these gods for your players to, if they choose a cleric or, or whether or not a cleric or not, they choose that they want to worship a type of God. But this whole right. idea of the old gods passing on or dying or whatever it is needing to be replaced somehow, like this right. is 100% the time that you lean in to that player agency and and give them that you create these gods mm -hmm. together whether they are themselves becoming the gods themselves right that's the plot so there's a video game called divinity 2 and that is the plot of that is that you find out that the players have the potential to replace you know the gods and the players can now compete with each other or they can sort of look and go no it should be you like of all of us, you're the one who's yeah. got the best chance of, of making it to the yeah. finish line. And again, that's a that's an interesting plot line where you're like, well, what's on the line? Are you going to be a good God? Yeah. You know, like if we can even pull this off, is this going to be for the benefit of all? Right. And then you throw in age old biases and, and, and you know, racial tensions and like all those other things. And it gets really quite interesting. Right. Like it, it's this sort of thing of saying, OK is this a time for another race to step to the top of the the heap is this a time for you know your classic tolkien the elves passing into you know the mm -hmm. west or whatever like is this the time for one race to fade out or for one pan this pantheon to step away and therefore this civilization that we think of as the most powerful in this world will also fade into you know obsolence or whatever like that's that's some interesting stuff or right? even it like is there a uh, a race in your world um a, a type of people that are throughout history like they don't have gods they don't know what the right. origin was but they at least they they don't accredit their origin to gods but now you have new gods coming to place right and what if right. one of those Throw out whatever loxodons in your world don't have gods. One of your players right. is a loxodon and now is giving has been given this chance to become a deity themselves. Right, right. And what is that? What does that mean? Right. You know, one of the things that um, we sort of talked about when we were developing Wayward was what is a modern god in terms of what is the priority of our society? Right. So this one character, Nikado, he's basically like, you know, connected the 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 connectivity of technology and all that stuff that didn't exist you know in the old world well he represents a new force in this kind of you know universe and something 
intrinsic to the way that we interact with each other, right? So you could potentially have, you know, gods of different things than there have been in the past, right? Or, or what may have you, you know, gods of concepts rather than gods of races, right? So maybe your pantheon starts with, okay, there's a mortal God and there's an elf God and there's a dwarf God, but you're going to give way to conceptual gods of war and of healing and of, you know, those kinds of things that could be quite interesting as well. And loyalties rise and fall in and around that sort of stuff. I'm going to say something that I feel like is kind of controversial to say in the like role playing sense we kind of shy away from this idea of that there's a wrong way to do something, right, in role-playing. But right. I, I want to say that if you we're talking about, like, old gods and new gods, mm-hmm. I think there is a wrong way to do this, and that's – we're not talking about old gods and same gods. Like, if right, you're right. going to make this shift where you're saying, oh, we're, we're raising up new gods, but then the god of death – is the exact same as oh, the old yeah. God of death, sure, same sure. motivations. And it works the same too. Right. Like I, I'm, my head is like swirling with, uh, what you were talking about, Jim, with like, um, what if the God of war all of a sudden has five gods of war that have right. their, their different aspects? Exactly. What if it's 40? Like, yeah, you need to make it feel yeah. like there's evolution. There has to be, you know, if if the old god of death is something to be feared, maybe the new god of death is one of rebirth. And so you people embrace this idea yeah. of change and, and ending their lives at the right time. You know what I mean? Like, how can you put a spin on some of these concepts, you know? Law and, and chaos and, make them, and all this, all right, this kind right. of stuff. Yeah. All those different sorts of elements that that gods could literally shift in terms of what we think of as good or evil that we assume that a god of war is something you know more intrinsically evil how can you frame that in a way uh that is not and that you know off the top of my head that's a tough one but it's like okay let's play these different elements against each other or you know honorable combat versus you know, wholesale slaughter and that these become two separate concepts that split forth from each other or, or what may have you. Um, you don't want to just give the players that... <laughs> new names that they have to remember. You, you need the, it to be a change. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just like throwing it all into a hat. And I think that it's also something where, like I said, trying to make it feel personal as hard as that can be. One of the ways you can do that, even if it's not like, one of my players is going to become a god or one of my players is going to be directly contacted by a god constantly but there are ways to echo themes right so if one of your core players is trying to find whatever justice or or um find themselves or you know some intrinsic part of their story you can reflect that on a higher level where suddenly a god's quest is very similar thematically to what you know, they understand, right? If they're looking for revenge, then a God is like, look, if I'm passing off into, you know, obsolence, the last thing I want is vengeance. And, you know, the player goes, oh, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm in for you. I'll help you do this thing. If you help me with mine, because we have the same goal, see it's vengeance or whatever that might be. Right. And so there's ways to make these huge cosmic shifts feel personal, or there's ways to the sim, you know, the symbols can can feel very similar, high and low as you're working through these concepts, right? Emotionally, uh, which I think is is better than just, 
okay, pull out the Tarrasque or pull out the <laughs> biggest thing you can imagine and, and narratively describe continents crashing yeah. and, and, you know, tidal waves destroying cities. You're like, that's all fine in terms of big, broad, prophetic, cool visuals. But do I care about the people being washed away in the flood? Do I care? Like, is that the hometown of one of my characters? Is that the kingdom that the paladin has sworn their loyalty to? Now I want this to be, you know, I want to be at the center of this, right? That's where it's really, you always got to bring it back to the cast and the personal. Otherwise, you're just smashing the toys together. Well, I almost see those scenes happening in the campaign you're playing as the results of maybe your your players who are perhaps becoming gods making mistakes right. along the way and seeing now with with godlike responsibility when they do not do the the correct quote unquote thing what can possibly happen right or once you've leveled up to a certain point yeah. there could be a, a discussion of well you're not allowed to have you know per like you as much as a, a God wants to be worshiped and all these kinds of things, you have to be above the petty conflicts because when you're not, the other gods will punish you because it's so easy to punish you. If you're still emotionally attached to this city, all I have to do is torture those people. And you're like, Oh yeah, you kind of got me bent over a barrel here. And it's like, well, you're a God now you shouldn't be worried about, you know, the death of a thousand people. Yeah. And you're like, but when I was immortal, I did. You're like, uh, Got to give that up, like, or do you, or, you know, and again, it's those kinds of test the theme, test the the dedication, you know, players wanting to be deific and powerful is a very common kind of thing, but you got to make them question whether or not this is the right path, or if this is the choice they really, really want to make, because look at all the damage that's going to be done for their, you know, for their quest for power, right? Yeah, it just paints the picture of such a great, such great role playing moments and seeing how different players react to it. I almost envision like an argument between two PCs um, where one is yelling like you've lost your your whole sense of humanity and the other one going, (laughs) yes, yes, I have. (laughs) Exactly. So I'll give you an example. It's on a much smaller scale, but I think it ties into what we're talking about here. So I had two players of mine many years ago. They really wanted to play evil characters. Your classic, oh, I want to be the bad guy. And I, I fought against it for many different adventures. And then we started a new campaign and I was like, fine, (laughs) fine. Here's the rules. There's only two players. I said, you two can be totally evil, chaotic evil, whatever you want, but you have to be loyal to each mm. other because I don't want in-party yes. fighting. There's only two players for crying out loud. And, um, you know, you have to tell me what your kind of end goal is with this. And they were like, oh, we're going to bring our dark deity to the world. And I was like, great. Okay, fine. So the best part was, is that they were pretending to be good adventurers, but they were always doing terrible things like behind the scenes. And at first I like let them do it. And they were like, Oh, we're so bad. And Oh, this is so great. Three or four sessions in, there's now a small group of NPCs that thinks they're good people that trust them, Mm -hmm. that likes them and they like them and says all the right things (laughs) and says like, Oh, you guys, I, you know, my life was lost. And now, now I see how, you know, great things can be. And the players are looking at each other. It's excruciating (laughs) because it's like twisting the thumbscrews. They're like, I kind of like so-and-so, you know what I mean? 
and but they know they're going to sacrifice yeah. them for this greater evil and making them sweat making the players sweat their decision that they thought they could just backstab anyone and mistreat anyone because they're npcs because they're abstract but the minute i made it personal the minute i made no that npc is cool and it's like well this npc wants you to do this very good thing that will screw up the timeline for your evil plot and will waste a lot of your power do you still do it well we really like so and so and they've helped us a bunch it's like are you really chaotic evil <laughs> like you know <laughs> and all of a sudden it becomes this fascinating kind of moral play of uh, how dedicated are you to the cause right it. and that becomes really entertaining and so the god the godly stuff can work on all sorts of levels of that right it sort of ties back to that thing we we're saying about the faith like okay i'm in for my god are you all the way let's see let's see how deep that goes you know the god of healing you realize isn't as selfless as you thought you know or the god of war is not as evil as you once believed yeah you know that the lord of lies was telling truth all along or you know and all these amazing kinds of 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 turns that people have one of the things i think is really important is you know it it's almost like the the rumor chart in the old adventures some of these rumors are true and some of them are not true and some of them are in direct opposition to reality and you need to parse that stuff out but when the adventure starts everyone knows so and so is the god of of just and truth and all these things and then you realize no at some point in their legend they have betrayed mm -hmm. others or they have done evil things or maybe they got there unjustly oh do i do i still back this yeah. god am i still the paladin of this you know concept all kinds of fun things like that where whatever wherever you started and wherever it's going to go figure out what the truth is behind those elements and how you can when you turn that card you know narratively speaking well, and, and asking that in the sense of like i like the the idea specifically of a god of justice and like you you were right. asking the question of like but are they are they always right. just like yeah. are they always fighting for justice and the question that the mortals who could be your PCs will, or maybe the statement that will be said is I could do right. it better. Well, and then we're right, playing right. in a campaign where there are new gods coming about and you right. get to that, you get, you get to can. lean now in as a DM it. and say, could you, <laughs> you know, and you yeah. well, or this idea of if you are, if you are good and just, and you want to be the God of this and you realize there's even a chance, well, now you have to embody yeah. that. So again, I have to test the concept. So if I put you in a situation where you might sacrifice yourself, like, well, I want to become a God. If I sacrifice myself, I won't get to be a God. But if you want to be the God of, of good and just and protection, guess you got to be willing to sacrifice yeah. yourself, take it all away. You know, that's the fun stuff where you get to turn, you know, so many stories come from <clears throat> asking those questions. So you look at what are the core traits of a character, you know, and then how do I turn put the pressure on them to reinforce those qualities, right? So is Batman a loner? Well, he's got Robin. So is he a loner? Well, he's got Batgirl. Well, is he a loner? <laughs> well, he's got Nightwing. No, he's not at all. He actually is desperate to get a family around him. That's part of, you know, the, as grim and dark as the Dark Knight is, he actually needs other people around him to balance that darkness and to try and pull him from going too deep into it. And so the way we find that out is by testing the concept, mm. right? So, you know, test those concepts in terms of your pantheon, test those concepts in terms of your players, and you'll find all kinds of story potential and try not to pre 
prescribe the absolute endpoint, like set up potential endings and set up, oh, I see where this could go. And then try not to railroad your players towards that absolute mm. end, yeah. right? Because you're not writing a novel, you know, because you are doing a collaborative, you know, process. Speaking of novels, that brings us around to, I am halfway decent at these segues, brings us around <laughs> to one of my favorite points, and it is certainly homework um, of pieces of media that we can toss out for our listeners to read, watch, interact with. And, um, you know, obviously I'll kick it off um, to bring it completely full circle. <laughs> Were you wayward? Yeah, Spoilers. surprise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Comicsology, go to your local comic store, get them to get you. Because if memory serves, and it, it does, um, I think it's in six trade paperbacks. Yeah. So. And three deluxe hardcovers. There we go. So each, each of the deluxe hardbacks has two of the softcover trades uh-huh. and some extra making of material in there too. Yeah, yeah, so definitely that's on the list. The other one I would throw out is the supplement for the God's Fall uh, world book because it has mm-hmm. a lot of deity pieces that, that I've personally used in a game. Um, if, you, if you are really going down the road that most of your players, if not all of your players, are obtaining new godhood. Um, it is certainly mm-hmm. a great supplement to give to just steal it wholesale, start using it, or find the pieces you really enjoy. Yeah, I think what's really important is to, you know, if you decide that you want to use a pre-established set, uh, a pantheon, whatever, you know, you're going to do the Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or anything like that, don't be afraid to make changes to it. Don't be afraid to shake some of that stuff up because what you don't want is to feel like it's trapped in the the text of the the supplement you know sometimes i think people feel published kind of paralyzation they're like well if they have if it's not written in an official book they don't feel confident going outside the lines do you know what i mean and it's like no this is a creative outlet it's totally cool the right way to use it is the one that your cast is entertained and that you were engaged and and having fun with it you know that's come up a couple I know, when times I was a kid, yeah, on, our, on our show yeah, recently. when i was a kid i wanted everything to be like by the book because if i did it by the book then i was doing it right and i'm doing hanging air quotes in yeah. our podcast yeah. <laughs> say right. but um you know the the this idea that it's okay to 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 change and mold and and push things forward you know that's that's where a lot of the fun comes from it allows you to get more creative with the it's stuff it's your for and if you're doing a homebrew campaign yeah if you're doing a homebrew campaign you know all bets are off like go make it cool and make it weird and and don't be afraid and and i think in some cases as much as you said at the start that generally your players are not involved i think there can be some really fun engagement if you're building a world to build certain sections of it and then to leave some of it open to interpretation and ask your players what they're excited about you know do they think it would be cooler if and you don't have to to give them all the secrets right from the get-go but just get a sense of where their motivation is like do they want to do a big god war or you know or do they want to save the people that are being affected by the war or do they want to have you know go right to the top and and get a sense of where their engagement lies and that will help to motive you know motivate and mobilize you as you're building this stuff as well rather than just sort of putting it down and going all right you guys are fighting the god of dragons next week you know like or whatever yeah I think uh, for me, the one that the one thing that came immediately to mind, uh, honestly, while we were discussing uh, the idea of new gods, old gods, um, is Neil Gaiman's uh, American Gods. Um, I think oh, that's a great source of inspiration. 
especially you're talking about different, different motivations, mm-hmm. different personalities, and like, yeah, it's it's a perfect place to go to think of that replacing the old. Right, and also an understanding that you know, um, as you have the shifting kind of, th- there's all sorts of ways you can play with the tie between mortals and gods, right? So one of the classic elements is, you know, gods are worshipped or need to be worshipped, right? So if a particular god, let's say during a major war or some apocalyptic event, which might be a precursor to all this stuff, let's say one of these kingdoms collapses from an earthquake, well, all of a sudden the center of worship falls apart. And in tr- because of that, the worship of that god is greatly diminished and that god becomes weak for the first time in an age. And now the other gods go, oh, oh, you're fresh yes. meat now. Like, I thought, you know, you were unstoppable, but this chain of events has led to you. I see now the hole in your armor and I'm going to strike. Do you know what I mean? And so what, what you can start an adventure off is there's an earthquake. And you're like, oh, this is all pretty straightforward. And because of that, this happens. And because of that, this happens. And all of a sudden, that ripple effect becomes, oh, Oh, this is happening on a, on multiple levels. There's the ground level, the literal ground level of people's lives are at stake, and then there's the higher level of the gods are are at play and at war. You know. Yeah. Well, our last and most important question is, Jim, where can people go on the proverbial interwebs to find all that you do? I have, and if I'm going to oh, take thanks. a shot, it's jimzub.com in case you were wondering. It is. Yeah. That's right. Jimzub.com is sort of the hub for everything. So interviews and previews and all kinds of stuff like that. I have a lot of tutorials about how to write um, over 40 free articles on my main website. I've, if you really want to do a deep dive, I do have a Patreon where I have over 250 comic scripts and pitches. So you can compare what I wrote with what was published and then see where those changes in the editorial process, uh, you know, changed and evolved the thing forward. Uh, and, and that you can access for the price of a fancy coffee. Um, so it's, uh, it's been really great getting feedback from people and excitement as they get kind of a peek under the hood in terms of how the engine runs and all that sort of stuff. I've started to branch out. I was doing all these tutorials just via text, but I've started to do videos recently. And so from my website, you'll see a lot of links to the YouTube page where I'm chatting about the story process. I'm interviewing other creators, talking to them about how they got their start, the stories that, you know, influence their writing styles. Um, processes and techniques. And I've found that, um, I found it really enlightening. Like I did it as, as really a lesson for other people. And every so often someone on one of those interviews says something either that I do, but I hadn't quite codified it that way or something I don't do and I should be. And I'm like, oh, I like learning while I'm, you know, teaching. This is cool. And you so have unlocked been... the reason we really do this yep. podcast, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Exactly. Right. Like, I love hearing about the process. I love hearing about, you know, other people's uh, creative ideas and the way that they engage that stuff and seeing the similarities and seeing the differences. And not that I'm going to be able to incorporate everything, but recognizing which ones work well with how I work and which ones, you know, I want to explore and which other ones are like, I don't do it that way, but I'm glad it works for you, you know? And the same thing is true of tabletop. Like the fact that the games can be everything from a highly 
strategic kind of a miniature war simulation all the way through to you know theater of the mind and and high drama with barely a, a die rolled and everything in between and that i can turn that dial sometimes session to session that i feel like oh this is a really story centric one we're never leaving town we're just going to go to the ball tonight and do all that stuff and then next session is like man it's a dungeon crawl and i'm trying to figure out my five foot step or whatever like that I love that we can kind of throttle it and change it up and, and surprise people with, with different takes on, on the game itself, you know? Jim, thanks so much for, for just coming back on. We hope to have you again. Uh, Join us in the future. We love talking to you. And um, I, for one will say this has been a phenomenal conversation. So Mm -hmm. again, thank you for joining us back on the Dungeon Masters block. Oh, my pleasure. You know, like I said, I, you know, Tabletop's at the heart of so much of what I do. And I love being able to throw kind of ideas out into the fray. When you first, like you told me, oh, we're going to be talking about gods and stuff. I was like, okay, I just don't want it to be about, you know, huge statistics. Cause I feel like that, that removes all the narrative and the agency to the whole thing. Not on this podcast. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Nice. So thanks for joining us again on another episode of the Dungeon Masters Block. I hope that you all enjoyed this episode as much as I did being able to engage in the conversation. I hope you enjoyed being able to listen uh, to our conversation and that what is always our hope is that you are able to walk away from this episode with your brain just filled to the brim with inspiration for your next D&D game or your D&D homebrew world. If you like this episode or you've liked past or future episodes of the show, please do us a favor and on your podcatcher app of choice, leave us a five-star review. Leave us a review. It helps us to get out there and for other DMs to hear us and potentially new DMs to hear our show. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. And you can like our Facebook page. And as always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. And with that, that's all we have for you on this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block the place where we come together to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm DM Mitch, reminding you to always keep on Dungeon Mastering.